Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 59 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. Hey! On September 26th, I'm doing a pay-per-view live stream with some of my favorite mandolin players. Now, last week, Jared Walker was part of that, but he just got a top-secret gig with Billy Strings that same night. You'll be seeing details about that coming up soon. So, Thomas Castle has come in and swooped in and saved the day. So, on September 26th, Dominic Leslie, Casey Campbell, and Thomas Castle, and myself are going to be doing a live stream in Nashville, Tennessee. It's high def, and it's going to be in a recording studio. Check this out. Mandolin Cafe is sponsoring it. Peghead Nation is sponsoring it. Carter Vintage Guitar is now sponsoring it as well. There's going to be giveaways. Peghead Nation is giving away a one-year subscription during this live stream. And Carter Vintage is going to be giving some hats, some shirts, and autographed uh books from Walter. So this is going to be an amazing thing. Tickets are available at mandolinsofbeer.com. If you go to the website right at the very top, there's a link you can click on. The recommended donation is $10, but whatever you can donate, if you can't afford $10 because of COVID, completely understandable. Donate what you can. If you can donate more than $10, please feel free to do that as well. September 26th. Really looking forward to it. The set list is insane. Um, I can't wait for y'all to hear it. Um, also, I'd like to introduce a brand new sponsor this week, Ear Trumpet Labs. Ear Trumpet Labs hand builds microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. So welcome aboard, Ear Trumpet Labs. I am super stoked to have you here. I'm sure um, you guys have seen their incredible looking and incredible sounding microphones on stages all over the place. Uh, and of course, we got Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin, intermediate bluegrass mandolin, and bluegrass fingerboard method with Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibish, Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com, use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. And Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out Northfield's website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app. That's mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. So thank you very much to Northfield. And then um, from last week, Seeds of Music Fall Academy with Dominic Leslie playing with me September 26th um, that he's teaching that mandolin course 10 weeks. They are extending the offer of the discount, actually, for the mandolins of beer community. So MandoBeer10, that's the promo code. And again, that's Dominic Leslie teaching classes for 10 weeks and master classes with uh, Sierra Hall and Jake Jolliffe. So be sure to check that out. I've got a link at the website. It's, it's an incredible looking camp. 
Let's dive into the podcast with Jesse Brock this week. Heck of a guy. So nice, man. Um, and uh, his new album, Fast Track, just came out, just dropped, as the kids say, uh, last Friday. And it's fantastic, man. It is some tasty bluegrass playing and some incredible harmony vocals on there. Great tunes as well. Uh, and I want to thank Jesse for taking the time for doing this. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much. Please go to mandolinsabeer.com and uh, secure yourself a spot for this live stream coming up September 26th. I'm really, really excited for it. And uh, again, the set list, the tunes are just, oh, I'm excited. I can't wait. Again Cheers, everybody. Beneath the moonlight, heard the cry and the moaning of the wind. Well, I heard the whistle scream. On that southbound railroad train Now I'm blue and I'm lonesome again Okay, and now I'd like to introduce well, the podcast Two-time IBMA winner, by the way Mr. Jesse Brock Jesse, how you doing? I'm doing great And thank you for doing this today I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast Thanks for having me I'm glad to be doing it Awesome, yeah, you are uh, such a great player It's 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 um, <laughs> wonderful to talk to you You got a brand new album out um, with, yeah. fa- with Fast Track and, Fast uh, track, yeah. It's wonderful, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah, the uh, Wish I Had a Heart of Stone. That is a great <laughs> song. I, that has been in my head now for three days. <laughs> oh. Oh. Thank you. Ron Spears brought that to the band and, and said, uh, I think we could double time this. And, and I remember when the song was out prime time, uh, it might have been the late 80s, 89 or 90, something like that. And I thought, oh, that, I liked the song then. And, <laughs> and I really like the song now. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's got a great progression, just really catchy. The double time is a great idea. Yeah, well, thank you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we were trying to work it out uh, backstage at a venue and before we went on prior to even thinking about doing it on stage. And, and um, that first slam is actually the beginning of the melody. And uh, the guys didn't realize that until later on, like, like after we had recorded it and they said, Oh, well, yeah, that, that first note is actually the beginning of, of that melody line. And the, you know, it's it's a powerful mandolin. <laughs> Slam! <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. And you have you have some live shows coming up here too. Um, that yep. uh, that's uh, that's great. Um, so where are you going to be playing at coming up? So if anybody's listening and was like, "Oh, that's nearby me," maybe they can come and see you this weekend. Yeah, we're actually going up to Pennsylvania this weekend, and uh, uh, just so pleased to be getting on the road again. This is actually the first road gig we've had uh, since before March, I think uh, March was the, the last official gig we did at the station in. And uh, gosh, it pro- it's probably been since February since we've actually been on the road. Wow. And I live here in Franklin, Tennessee, so that's not far from the station in. So I didn't have very far to go back, <laughs> back there in March. <laughs> yeah. You could have Ubered there. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> 
I think we have three gigs this weekend. We go up to Pennsylvania, and I think we may go through West Virginia and then end up in Kentucky and then back home. Doyle Lawson's on one of them, right? Or is it the Doyle Lawson, is it a Doyle's Festival? That is actually next weekend. Oh, next weekend. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the 24th. Doyle actually uh, called my personal phone when I was at the studio and said I had a cancellation and uh, wondered if you would be interested in filling the spot. And I said, well, I don't usually handle the booking part of it. And ultimately, about 30 minutes later, we, we, uh, we got the gig. <laughs> so that's next week, the 24th on a Thursday. Uh, we're going to be filling a Thursday spot in Denton, North Carolina at the Doyle Lawson Festival. So, yeah, that's a pretty sweet lineup, too. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, we'll be pulling the bus in there. Oh, nice. How, so how long have you been doing this for? You you started late, right? You started playing mandolin at nine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you caught me off guard there, yeah. That's like it. Um, I started out on fiddle when I was eight and a half and uh, took some lessons and I probably should have stuck with it. Uh, it probably would have made me a better musician. Uh, fiddle players get all the work <laughs> <laughs> and all the ladies. <laughs> well, I've got mine, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> but uh, I, I played that for a little while and uh, the, the, I had a family band. And they had already had a mandolin player, a uh, well-established mandolin player who was a, also a, a college professor. And his, uh, his job required him to be back, back home sooner than we expected. And, and um, we still had some shows to play that weekend, which, by the way, was at the uh, Loretta Lynn Dude Ranch. And, yeah, and I would, I would stand up on stage as a secondary mandolin player. I would chop, and uh, I, I didn't play leads at the time. But uh, l- later on Saturday, I think he said, I'm, I have to get home and grade papers for Monday. And my dad said, well, I don't know what we're going to do. We really need you f- uh, for the following day. And I guess, uh, I guess you got to get back home to do what you have to do. And I found out about it in a meeting afterwards and said, well, I, I, I can do it. And my dad said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. So I was pretty confident and fearless back then. Um, and things went fine. The next day I, I decided to, uh, to fill the spot. And I actually did some MC work too, because I was familiar with, uh, the dialogue that my sisters would have prior to the songs introducing the songs and they just got a kick out of it (laughs) so like i said fearless uh stupidity or whatever you call it just i i fell right in there and then that that following week uh my father made the executive decision to let him go and said you know no hard feelings but uh this is the beginning of a full family band wow and that i think that was 1983 1982 maybe so how old so how old were you then at that point? Like I was nine, <laughs> almost ten. That I can just uh, just picture this like it's like a movie. 
<laughs> you know, just like big circle. I can handle it, and everybody moves and is like little little nine year old Jesse, like holding the mandolin, like let's do this. <laughs> that is so great, man. Uh, it's it's funny now. I can think about back back then and laugh about it. Um, how how someone of that age could have that confidence that. I definitely don't have now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how is that? How is it? I don't know. All this confidence think... as kids when we don't know anything. Right. <laughs> Man, I that's... don't know. I've, I've, I've had my struggles in life, and and you know that that can kind of bring you, bring you down, and then back up, and the ebb and flow of life. Yeah. So what type what type of tunes were you guys doing in the family band? We uh we. We really liked the Leuven Brothers, and we would do some Leuven Brothers songs. The postman knocked and waited for a sweet face to appear. A face that showed her heart was full of joy. In the cottage doorway, smiling through her tears. Each time he brought a message from her boy. Uh, Jim and Jesse, you know, songs that would really showcase the vocals more than the the instruments. And I think that's why I might be a little light in the uh, the the tune department because I always focused on being a, a team player and a supporter uh, to to lyrical songs. And learning parts, singing, and um, so that—that's—that's that's probably my strong suit right there. Is—is is, uh, being a, a supporter, you know, rhythmically and with solos, and but but more so than towards tunes. You know, that's that's a great point that you bring up. Um, I interviewed uh, Ashley Hoyer last week. Ashley Broder, mm-hmm. her her. Uh, or their last name before and we just talked about like how really the mandolin is kind of like a support instrument it you know it's you have like a job to keep the time and stuff but what are some of the things that you work on because it's noticeable in your playing um i really love your fills um like during they fit real well during like verses that's you know some a lot of people struggle with how to approach that so maybe maybe Mm -hmm. we could talk a little bit about that now about how you approach supporting a song i'd love to um i think it, it may derive as as uh, starting out playing the fiddle, uh, although I never really played the fiddle behind any vocalists. But its job is to kind of to be like a, a an additional vocal, and when when it's when the vocals aren't spotlighted, then that instrument is spotlighted. Uh, I also kind of. Uh, adopted that philosophy from the dobro and what Jerry Douglas always did throughout the years. Um, another example was Earl Scruggs, uh, perfect backup behind a vocalist, you know, Lester Flatt or, you know, whatever was going on, Earl was the man. And so I just tried to uh, steal, you know, that kind of uh, – knowledge from other musicians throughout history who kind of paved the way for what we're doing now and you know the list goes on Stuart Duncan just a great example of backing up um 
you know, you don't have to be known as a soloist. What, what they stand out as are the great backup that they provided behind what's going on. And that's what all I've tried to do is, is really listen, let my ears do the walking, listen to what's going on around me, uh, being a supporter. And you mentioned my fills. You know, I don't really think of it. I just listen for it and play what comes from the heart and and um, maybe the the range I'm in at the time, mid range or high range, uh, to to fit what's going on with what I'm playing to. Yeah, it's 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 really complimentary. And, you know, you don't see that, like, especially if you go to jams, that's one of the things that definitely, you know, you don't always notice, you know, people are just, <laughs> just want their turn to wail. And, um, right. but it's so right. funny because you say, uh, and you do play for the song wonderfully, but you're solo playing. I mean, well, well uh, yeah, I got some questions about that as, as we get into the sure. podcast a little bit later, but you, uh, sure. you have no problem playing some amazing leads, um, which is great as well. So you're well, super well-rounded. I think it's really Thank interesting you. that you noticed that you noted all these players who helped with your melody playing and none of them are mandolin players, which I think is great. <laughs> well, I, in a sense, like, I know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great because a lot of people get so caught up in just listening to mandolin uh, so much that you kind of ignore the other stuff that's going on. But what's going on from some of these people is so important, sure. you know, to, to listen to. But with that said, who are some of your um, big influential mandolin players? Oh gosh! Well, the list is long. Uh, <laughs> I could go on all day, but I'll I'll start out with what I uh, began listening to when I was back in the days of uh, LPs, and uh, that was Bobby Osborne, um, Bill Monroe, of course. I should probably put Bill Monroe first, <laughs> and then Bobby Osborne, Jesse McReynolds which was a highly advanced style yeah. at the time for me to be learning. And uh, Jimmy Goodrow, Doyle Lawson, of course, and then we started getting into the realm of the Johnson Mountain Boys with my very good friend, David McLaughlin. one of my favorite musicians right there he plays great mandolin great guitar his guitar works great e equally great uh but i'm kind of getting off the beaten path here um sam bush adam steffi ronnie mccurry uh geez this goes on yeah, and on. Well, that's, that's some pretty powerful players, though, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can hear all of those in your playing. 
Yeah. You know, that's a good mashup of, of what it what kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't really go wrong with uh, any of them. <laughs> and right. again, the fact that you add in um, all that stuff again, all that fiddle playing or the scrugs, I mean, those things you're uh, trying to learn, all that stuff is what makes everybody, the, you know, like an individual player. And I find it so interesting. Oh, well, thank you. I, I had uh, the uh, wonderful opportunity in the eighties to travel with my family band. And in that time period, I was able to go to festivals and play the same stages as my heroes, wow. uh, like the Johnson mountain boys. You know, we went to Hugo, Oklahoma. We all got heat stroke oh, that geez. weekend. It's one of the hottest places on earth. Oh. <laughs> and the Johnson mountain boys were there. And we actually played the same night as the Johnson mountain boys. David let me play as Lloyd Lore. Oh, wow. And and he had all of them come over and said, listen to this. And I was playing something from one of the albums. I think it was Working Close album. And they all just had big <laughs> big grins on their faces. Oh, um, my gosh. Because I was, I was playing what was on the album. And and uh, and then I put the mandolin away, and I was cleaning the strings off, wiping the finish. And he... To this day, he rem- remembers me taking care of that mandolin as if it were my own. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I said, this is, that's just how I was taught and how I take care of my instruments. And um, so those, those times are really dear to me. Um, I got to play the festival circuit with the um, Lost and Found. Oh, yeah. And I forgot to mention... Uh, the, the great Dempsey Young, you know, he was one of my heroes. You hear a lot of his playing in, in, in what I do. Uh, just pa- paying, paying homage to some greats. Um, and another name I forgot to put in there was Nate Bray from the Bray Brothers. Uh, they had some reissued albums on Rounder, but uh, my dad actually knew all of them personally in Illinois in the 60s. And he said it was just like watching a, a Flat and Scruggs show when they'd get on stage. They'd play at a school auditorium, and it was just heavenly. And uh, and then uh, Nate Bray passed away a year before I was born, 1971. He had a Hodgkin's disease. So I never got to meet him and just kind of uh, the, the re- listening to the records, you know, I, I learned the, how he played and just lives through me. <laughs> the days have passed by so slowly. So how many dates did you guys do in the family band? Did you was it like a, a year long thing or just kind of the festival circuit? Yeah, we we uh, we traveled year round. Uh, wow! As um, I think we played twenty six states in a, in a short time period. Holy cow! Um, we were we were on the road maybe six years. You know, a short time span uh, for such a career, and um, you know we got to. Got to know each other really well <laughs> <laughs> and and had a lot of fun, uh, made a lot of fans. Uh, we had an opportunity to go to Europe 
at a time period when it was kind of tense. So we declined at the time, but we could have gone to Europe back in the eighties when uh, people weren't really known for going to Europe with, with bluegrass. But I ended up going later back in the, I think 97 is the first time I went to Europe. Okay. Who'd you go with then with? I went with Chris Jones. Oh, uh, Chris cool. Jones and the Night Drivers. Yeah, nice. I'm interviewing Mark. His uh, current mandolin player's got an album that just came or is coming out here in October. Yeah, I'm actually on that. I'm on just a little a little spot there on the last song, I think. So, how did you hook up with Chris Jones? Well, I actually played with Chris uh, in the Lynn Morris band in '92. Oh, wow! And prior to that, the family ran into. Lynn Morris back when the band was called Whetstone Run and Marshall Wilburn was in that band. Uh, Lee Olson was in that band on mandolin and Chris Jones on guitar. No kidding. We ran into them back in 1985 uh, in Louisiana, Pitkin, Louisiana, I remember. And it's just a little bitty festival. And uh, that's, that's when I struck up a friendship with Lynn Morris and then uh, kind of advanced a little bit forward to 91. We played a festival. Lynn was playing there at uh, a, a festival in Connecticut. And she took in the show that I played with the local band and just made a mental note of my playing for whatever reason. I guess she she had to do that as a band leader to keep a list of go-tos. Sure, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I met up with Lynn, and then she offered me the position, and I tried out. We went on a two-week tour in Texas, amongst other places, and uh, they liked what I did, and it worked out. So I was hired in '92. season with her and then found out Chris uh, couldn't stay in the band he had to leave and uh, I stayed to the beginning of 93 I wasn't driving much at the time I was you know I was young you know 19 or 20 and I didn't have my own car and Chris was my ride on the long hauls and and uh, I made a a decision to uh, look at a more permanent line of revenue. So I, I got a job, a regular day job uh, in a warehouse. At the time, you know, I had to make that decision and leave the band. Uh, Lynn really fought hard to try to keep me. And, and uh, you know, we always stayed good friends. And that's key, too, as a band leader. You know, you, you, you learn. It's a very small community, small family. And burning bridges is not a good policy. And and she's just been like world-class diplomat in that department. And because of that, I returned back to the band um, back in 98. Um, 
in between that time period of 93 and 98, I played with Chris Jones also. Oh, wow. Um, I was a permanent member of his band. Um, and then we made a, his first rebel release, uh, No One But You. You might change your mind, but you end up in there before. If he's what you want, close the door. That was in 97. And um, and then Lynn called me again. Let me back up a little bit. <laughs> in that in that time period, I was she didn't have a permanent mandolin player, so I was filling in with the Lynn Morris band and playing with the Chris Jones band and working at the warehouse. Holy so cow. <laughs> there were there were times that I was working 60 to 80 hours a week in the warehouse, and then on early Friday morning, I'd have to be on the road and do the band schedule all weekend. And then on Monday I worked second shift. Sometimes I just go right to work from like the airport or off the road. Oh my gosh. And it, it got to a point I was burning the candle at both ends and I had to make a decision. And, uh, Lynn Morris offered me another position in 98 back when, uh, uh, the band consisted of Marshall Wilburn and Ron Stewart. And Ron would flip back and forth from banjo to fiddle because he's world-renowned for doing so. <laughs> yeah, amazing at both. <laughs> equally great at both. Yeah. Just a great musician, another one of my favorite musicians and friends. Uh, and he really vied for my position in the in the band. And, uh, you know, I, I get choked up talking about it because it, it really helped propel my career uh, from that point on. And then you went to, um, from that, you, you did four albums with Michael Cleveland. <laughs> Has it been that many? Yeah, according wow. to this bio, anyway, it looks like. But yeah. <laughs> that's got to be, so was that like a little bit different? Because he's, um, you know, like Chris Jones, definitely more of a songwriter sort mm -hmm. of sort of thing. Obviously, great players in the thing, too. But then, like, there's this Michael Cleveland stuff, and it's like, like, like a bullet from a gun. <laughs> you know? That's powerful. it a big change or to adapt to something like that it kind of was um the the energy level required to hang with michael cleveland uh uh demands a lot of a person um i've got to hand it to, to michael he's a, a a phenom if you will uh to what he does and you cannot deny the man has loads of talent and um I was in a band with him with um, the Dale Ann Bradley band, and and he was basically the musical coordinator of that band, and uh, just had a great band, um, great time, and the the ambition at the time 
I wasn't high to get a lot of gigs and um, I had an opportunity to go overseas and I lived over there for about five months and uh, and Michael uh, offered me a position once already to to join his newly formed band and um, I was still over in your Euro- in Europe and I got a second call and said, you know, the band was uh, formed with the idea of having me in it. And uh, at, at the time, they weren't getting what they wanted, I think. And they offered it to me again. I said, well, I'm going to return back to the States because I have a family reunion band, uh, family band reunion show to do. And I'll be over in the States at the time that you're going to be at IBMA. And they said, well, that's great because we're fixing to do an all-star show also there. And we want you to be a part of it. And uh, and they'd already been doing a couple shows or a couple months worth of shows as the band uh, Flame Keeper. Didn't really have a name for the band at the time. Um, they asked us all in the kitchen of Michael's house, what do you think we should name the band? We've been mowing it around in our heads and i said well it's it's basically the the band that was on the flame keeper album uh michael's first solo project and i said why don't you just call it michael cleveland and flame keeper or michael cleveland and the flame keeper band you know it's shorter if you just say flame keeper and um and they said we kind of like that and then (laughs) audie blaylock was in the band he said you know, I'm I'm giving up my Redline band uh, to do this to to merge the two bands, um, and I I feel like I deserve some notoriety. So he really pushed to have featuring Audie Blaylock on there, and uh, actually I have I'm looking at an award right here in my living room, and it and it has it's from Michael Cleveland, and it says Michael Cleveland and Flame Keeper featuring Audie Blaylock. Oh, no kidding. It's a lot of writing on a small plaque. <laughs> <laughs> the guy making that plaque is like, "What is this a joke?" <laughs> right, and and no one had, you know, no one was trying to uh, rob him of any notoriety. Sure, but later on, we decided to kind of drop that, and and actually ended up getting a different singer. So uh, that ultimately had to come off anyway. Uh, we had also talked about later on if. If we'd been in the business long enough, we could even drop Michael's name to just having the band Flame Keeper, mm-hmm. kind of like the the band White House or Longview. Right, right. And uh, I I don't think management was quite into that idea. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, so guys. <laughs> you know, to this day, it's Michael Cleveland and Flame Keeper, and uh, well deserved. He's you know he's gotten his Grammy, and um, not that we were a part of that, but uh, I'm I'm glad to know I was there at the beginning. And it's pretty and, flattering uh, to think that anybody would think of you when putting a band together. You know what I mean? That's that's amazing oh, well, to have you. something like that, and well deserved. But you know, I don't think a lot of people probably can say like a band that's still successful to this day at the beginning they're like well you were part of the thought of putting this band together in the first place that's amazing well i i wasn't personally 
in the thought process, but I guess <laughs> they were right. No, that's that's the part. Of, yeah, that's the part and that I gets just me. Remain humble, you know, to this day that that I was a part of of history there. I really consider it a part of musical history, and uh, it was a niche that was trying to be filled. So, in the absence of bands like the Johnson Mountain Boys or the Warrior River Boys at the time, you know. Rounder Records was trying to fill that niche, and that band filled it. And then you also did a, a lot of years with the Gibson Brothers as well. Sure. Yeah, I was a, a member for five and a half years up until um, just about Thanksgiving of 2018. Okay. And then um, I would be remiss to not talk about your incredible solo album that you also put out. So, so good. And that really, it's its interesting. There's not a lot of guys, and again, I commend you on your playing for the song, because there's not a lot of guys, I think, that do such a good job of doing that and then also have the ability to just play as fast and as fiery as you do, you know? I mean, it's its oh. its really incredible that, that you well, also find you. the restraint, <laughs> you know, to, <laughs> to back up a band. I mean, that's, again, it's... It's it's an art, I think, and and you do it really, really good. Well, thank you. Yeah, sometimes it does feel like there's a governor on me. <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, it's all you know pent up in inside of me, and uh, it's it just takes a lot of uh, concentration to to withhold it and just make what's around me the best it can be. That's great. And then we should talk a little bit about Fast Track here, too. Any, uh, sure. I know I mentioned one of my favorite songs, but you have any, uh, any tunes on there that kind of stand out, stand out for you from that recording? Well, the album is so fresh, I don't even have a hard copy to <laughs> reference uh, the list of songs. I'd have to go to a file, which I'm on the phone right now. I couldn't access that right now. But, um, you know, they're, they're all great songs. I can't really pick out one that is my least favorite. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and that's a good problem to have. For sure. Well, the um <laughs> the vocals on the album are incredible. I mean, that's for sure. What a what a great vocal band. Oh, um, thank you. Which I th- again, I think is one is I love harmony vocals. It's like my favorite thing. Um sure. you know, and um to hear bands that do it really really well. There there are five singers uh which it's the number of who's in the band, you know. We all sing. Uh, Dale is one of the best, one of the world's best bass singers. And he, he also tackles some of the baritone, you know, just to give it variety from me singing all the parts of baritone. Um, and I'm also able to sing tenor. Uh, I didn't take the reins of, of doing any lead singing on the album. Uh, we've got capable singers to do that. I feel most comfortable singing parts, uh, baritone or tenor. Um, but we've got one of the world's best tenor singers, Ron Spears, in the band. So, you know, you, you've really <laughs> – it'd be a hard choice to, to take that away and say, I want to sing tenor. 
but um you know there might maybe times when that happens during the summer when he needs a break or or whatever where we'll kind of roll the dice and see who takes what part <laughs> sure <laughs> and there's only but, the uh, one instrumental on there fast track which again yeah, i think is a that's a really cool cool thing to do too and you have such great vocals Yeah, he beat me to the punch. I was going to write a tune for the album called Fast Track. <laughs> and uh, we we played a, a show uh, that was been, being uh, videotaped. I think it was uh, Wood Songs. And uh, we were number 1,000 or 1,001 uh, taped shows. Oh, wow. I love that show. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. And uh, um, it's great for the industry and what we're doing. But uh, backstage in the in the green room, uh, Dale said, I, I've come up with this tune. I want to see what you think of it. And we all just started playing along with him. And there's a video of that also on the Internet somewhere the, of the first time. Actually, I like that version better than what's on the album. Because <laughs> <laughs> when something's so fresh, you're so excited about it. You're you're really throwing your ideas in there. And uh and when I was in the studio, I just, it's a totally different realm. You're, you feel like you're under the microscope and, and your, your creativity is kind of, um, flowing through a, a small tube. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you know what the, the closing track, Broken Friends and Worn Out Shoes, that's a, that's oh, a, that's a great tune as well. And broken in friends and worn out shoes. Worn out shoes get you around Broken in friends will never let you down Do things in life you can't afford to lose Broken in friends and worn out shoes Broken in friends and worn out shoes Yeah, written by my, my good friend uh, Brink Brinkman Oh, no kidding! <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, his nickname's Brink. It's actually Mark Brinkman, uh, but everyone calls him Brink. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one of his songs actually made it on my new album too. That's coming out. Um, yeah, and we can talk about that later. No, on. No, this but, is a perfect segue. I've got it right here on my notes. That was the next spot oh, right there. You got Streamliner um, coming out here. So let's talk a little bit about that project. I'm really. I actually. Um, sure. There's a live show from a festival, I believe, that you guys did. Uh -huh. Was it maybe late last year, possibly, that I, I uh -huh. watched on YouTube, and I was like, whoa, I can't wait till this album comes out. <laughs> and you're talking to Streamliner? Yeah, Streamliner, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, believe um, so. I have to double check that now, yeah, but... Yeah, that's... We went out on tour a couple times, and um, I say we, uh, the band consisted of Greg Blake and Nico Humby on bass, and uh, Ellie Hawkinson on fiddle. Yeah, and then I had a couple banjo players that weekend. Uh, I had, uh, oh geez, you're gonna put me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had Jason Davis on the end of the tour, and Mark Delaney 
was on the tour also. Oh, cool. From uh, the D.C. area. Great banjo player. Yeah, it's the Hudson um, Valley Bluegrass Association. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mark Delaney. Yeah, uh, I was listening to that. I'm like, oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, Greg Blake is the lead singer, and uh, which really helps me out. As I said before, I don't consider myself uh, a, a strong lead singer. I'd rather sing parts around a really great singer and uh, let them shine. Uh, not to say I can't sing lead. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of doing that. But uh, I think that's part of being a band leader is finding your strong suits and make, and really uh, propelling those ahead. And that's just what I'm trying to do is uh, kind of key in on the, the strong points of the band. Greg Blake is uh, really hope to put him on the map. He's already been on the, on the map with uh, Jeff Scroggins in Colorado, uh, which is where I found him uh, playing with uh, Jeff at IBMA about three years ago. And uh, in the meantime, Jeff calls me up and asks me to do a European tour with him. So I did a European tour for two or three weeks last year with him. That was at a time when I was kind of in a lull with my career. I just quit the Gibson brothers and trying to start up a brand new band of, of my own called mainline express. And we put out a single and, uh, these are all friends of like 20 years and, uh, finally thought this was the time to do that and uh, everyone just had their own uh, opinion on how to do business and and uh, it, it was just an executive decision to dissolve that even after having the single out it was right on the heels of the single too oh geez and, uh, so i was hit kind of with a double whammy of of uh, being out of the gibson brothers and losing uh, something that i had started and then so I, I uh, took the opportunity to go to Europe with Jeff Scroggins and uh, struck up a good friendship with Greg Blake. And then that continued on to do this project, Streamliner. Wow, that's awesome. And that's yeah. and the recording, is the recording already done? I know you had mentioned when we were corresponding about a single coming out in a few weeks. Well, as we speak, it's being mixed and then we'll send it on to mastering. Oh, and, cool. Uh, it still won't come out until 2021. Uh, I've got a planned release date of April 1st. Um, and in the meantime, I'll dole out some singles from it. May put out three or four singles in the meantime. Yeah, it's smart. Keep keep it relevant Absolutely. and eligible. And then the album will be eligible for the next year. So I'll get two good years worth of life out of this one project. That's amazing. I can't wait to hear it, man. Thank you. I'm really excited. We spent over a year, you know, it was pretty much on the heels of, of Mainline Express dissolving that um, I had to get my mindset right and, and uh, decide what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be a member of uh, the Jeff Scroggins band, you know, Jeff Scroggins in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And then at I, while we were at IBMA showcasing with that band, Jeff decides, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, it's just too costly to come out to the East Coast and make any money. And so he formed his own band out out West called the Scrog Dogs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I think they're doing fine. And, and it's within reason 
financially for him. And uh, we're still friends. You know, I go back to our earlier conversation of, uh, you know, not burning bridges and being uh, diplomats about business. Absolutely. So we're still friends. I don't harbor any hard feelings about, you know, he's not in charge of keeping me in business. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) He's got to take charge of his own life and what's best for him. And just like anyone else. Um, and if you want to make yourself successful, you just take the reins and, and do your own thing. And that's what I'm trying to do. You've played with, like when you look at this bio and people who you've played on stage with, I mean, you, <laughs> you, that's a great mindset to have because, you know, if you're playing on stage with people like Ricky Skaggs, George Jones, Willie Nelson, Allison Krauss, you know, that's, sure. it, that's, a, that's a lot of mindset stuff, you know, that's, that's amazing. Sure. And I, I don't like to drop names. You know, I, I only choose to do that if if uh, if it serves a pertinent uh, reason. And uh, a lot of people like to do that to further their career. But um, I only do it to to make people aware of of uh, my origins. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as anybody can hear during this interview, this is a tough business. Being sure. a musician, it, being a musician alone is a tough business. Bluegrass is, and folk music and acoustic musics are a really tough business. You gotta, you know, and those names, you gotta drop some names. Those are those are good names to drop. <laughs> 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 so, I'd like to talk about. I'd like to talk about um, some of your technique here because the one thing that I see every video I see of you, it could be an IBMA jam, it could be the Mandolin Mondays, it could be you live. You have such a relaxed playing style. It's just, it makes me, I'm envious of your playing style. It makes me work harder. And so I'd love to talk oh. a little bit about um, some of your technique and, and, and things like that, because it's your, your right hand alone is just like, wow, it's so like loose. <laughs> and then, I mean, that, oh. not loose in a bad way. I mean, loose and just like, just well, no tension. <laughs> It, it looks that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it, it's like some of those IBMA jams are fast, you know, and it's, uh-huh. yeah, it, that, and, and it's still clean playing, which is, well, thank you. yeah, you're welcome. I guess I can kind of re- reiterate on that a little bit. Um, and I, I've said this at, at music camps before and in lessons that the speed of the song really determines uh, what mode my hand goes into. Um, believe it or not, people think the faster the song, uh, the the more tense, the harder you play. It's actually the, the opposite of that. Uh, it goes against everything the mind tells you, where you've got to stiffen up and really concentrate. But actually, the faster the song, the looser my hand becomes. And I go into like, what I consider float mode. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you describe float mode? Yeah. Uh, you may have seen Adam Steffi kind of plant his finger and, and it just kind of glides over the string. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily plant. I, I went through a period of where I did, but, but the hand just kind of floats over the top of the strings and you're not really digging in. You're, you're picking light and you're, you're focusing all your energy into clarity and and letting the pick flex with you to give you help over the strings back and forth 
Whereas a, a slower song, slower to medium tempo song, your hand is more locked in. Uh, and when I say locked in, it's like from the wrist where where you're kind of you're not planning your hand on the bridge, but it's just kind of floating on the bridge. But it but it is locked in. At if you will kind of go to like a four by four truck when you have to get out and you lock your hubs. That's what my hand's doing. Um, I'm locking it in and, it, and it's going back and forth, almost kind of like if you've watched Doyle Lawson play. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that derivative of the country gentleman days uh where it's very uh, staccato sounding mm-hmm. well when when you get into super fast mode like kicking grass or orange blossom special that hand just kind of floats then it's not planted it it floats closer to what we call the florida of the mandolin the mm-hmm. uh, extension of the mandolin so you get a more mellow tone and and it just kind of floats there and you're not digging into the strings. You're not picking it out of the strings. The, the pick is just kind of floating over the strings. So that's what I call float mode. Yeah. Do you, when you're playing chords like that on a super fast song like that too, do you change, how, do, you, do you change your picking technique from going from chopping into going into say float mode? Well, if I'm in, if I'm in the rhythm mode, mm-hmm. I do like to alternate my chord patterns. Uh, uh, I, it's almost like the concept of a jazz guitar player. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you're not doing one formation and getting bored and cramping up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's kind of something I've come up with so I don't cramp up. And some, sometimes it involves uh, bass lines. Oh, cool. Where, where you're, you're kind of connecting the chords like – uh, if if you use the number system, like from a five to a one, mm-hmm. or from from E to A, if you will, and um, so it just kind of helps you out connecting chords and not cramping up. And um, and then when I go into solos, it usually consists of some lead-in notes, uh, like of the melody line. Mm-hmm. Sure. And does your wrist kind of wrist change too a little bit from that? Like, are you, are you just sure. trying to, yeah, yeah. Cause that's, I definitely think that's a thing where, you know, players seem to struggle is, you know, going along from, you know, it's, it's like, you have to make this decision at some point to like, like, you know, right. it's like, I'm, I'm running now I have to be a little bit more delicate with my run. And, you know, some people you can see the <laughs> think going on like, all right, you know, <laughs> and like, okay, it's getting ready to take a break. Now my, my playing has changed. Um, you know, how do you approach that when you're getting ready to, you know, change that up? Well, uh, that's funny. You asked me that because, uh, on one of the cuts off the streamliner album, um, I kind of, did the opposite of what I would normally do where you would have lead in notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of kept in that rhythm chop mode and just gave some powerful chords, uh, as, as the lead in oh. to one of my solos. And when that, com- when that comes out, you'll hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't want to give the dating away here, but, um, but it, it's just what I'm feeling at the time. It could be lead-in notes. It could be rhythmic. Uh, I'm, I'm a very rhythmic player, as you've stated earlier. 
Um, and some of that also comes from uh, listening to uh, Sam Bush. You know, I, I never really focused on trying to copy Sam's style or anything, but sometimes it, it just lended nicely to whatever song I'm playing to to have that mindset. Yeah, if you're going to copy somebody rhythmically, though, it's a pretty, pretty good one. He'd be the man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And Monroe, Monroe is very rhythmic. Oh, Sometimes he'd yeah. do that, too. Uh, some solos uh, may be half rhythmic. Uh, aside from picking single strings or, or double stops, mostly double stops, like a fiddle would, and uh, just use his right hand like it's a fiddle bow. Oh, did you ever get to see him live? I did. Oh, yeah, wow. I got to sit next to him and talk to him at the uh, Berkshire Mountain Festival. It was oh, the very wow. last one they had in 1985 up in New York. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, I was sat there, and I, I said, wow, that mantle looks really old. You mind if I, I touched the top of it? And it was I was touching the, the really worn area that everyone's familiar with on his mandolin. Right. And I said, wow, that, that must have taken a long time to wear it out like that. Uh, yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and then uh, uh, Lee, Lee Michael Dempsey reminded me of uh, the conversation. He said, I was kind of sitting on the sidelines there watching that happen and all unfold. And Bill Monroe asked you, Who's your favorite mandolin player? Of course, expecting me to say his name. Mm -hmm. And in my <laughs> my youthfulness, I said Doyle Lawson, <laughs> 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 and he he said uh, he's good. Uh, who else? And I said, oh, of course you. Uh, that's good. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. Uh, who else? <laughs> he was just fishing. I'm I'm sure he was waiting for me to just give a long list of other mandolin players. Have you ever got to pick the brains of any some of these heroes when you were doing all these festivals and get any tips that still stick with you to the to this day? Yeah, I I remember uh, I was down in Glen Rose, Texas. Uh, it was 1986 with uh, Lost and Found. And I had been seeing the band before that, like a year or two before that. And there was just this thing that Dempsey Young would do on stage that really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of sounded a, a little bit like cross-picking. And at the time, I was studying Jesse McReynolds and his cross-picking for several years, which it takes a lot of people – a lifetime to master. Oh, I, yeah. I still haven't mastered <laughs> I have my own way of doing it, but it's not like Jesse McReynolds. And, um, but anyway, back to the point of watching him on stage playing this lick, it was like a steel guitar lick on the mandolin. Oh, cool. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I actually got a chance aside from hearing it on albums to actually see it in person on stage and I was just super focused on his right hand, and he did it several times in a song, so I was able to watch also his left hand. And so I went backstage, and I, I started doing it, and I was like, oh, it, it was like a eureka moment. And That's so cool. Do you remember what song and, it is that he does it on? Maybe I can drop a sample of that in here. 
Oh, jeez, uh, I'm trying to think. Sawmill Road, I think. I'm sure it's on some some other songs too that might really pop out, but I just remember that. And then he came off stage. And I said, "I know you got to go to the record table," and because I was familiar with how all that went, you know, people get off stage, they put their instruments away, and then they go to the record table. I said, "I just want to stop you for a couple seconds here. Is this what you're doing?" And and he just got a big grin on his face. He said, that's exactly what I'm doing. He said, you're not supposed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And oh. to this day, I'm, I do that lick, you know, to pay homage to that moment. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't use anybody to copy their style. But if I like something like that, I'll pay homage to them. And, you know, that's... If it fits the song, then I'll use it. Yeah, man. Well, that's why I love your playing. Your playing is really a great, a great mashup of all these different types of playing. You can you, you hear hints of things and in influences and stuff you play, but it's never oh. like a direct. You know, it's the, it's not ever a direct ripoff. It's always just like, sure. oh, it's a little little Monroe lick in there, a little Dempsey Young. Sure. I, I love that. I love hearing stuff Thank like you. that. It's so great. Thank you. You may have heard me say on a an acceptance speech. Uh, that I I owe my I owe that to my father who really infor- reinforced the fact that I need to be my own person and create my own style. Don't copy being an original, and that's what I've tried to do. Well, you're definitely succeeding. <laughs> well, thank you. Absolutely. Well, I've got two more questions left for you here. I mean, yes, I sir. really appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. This has oh, been you're, you're so welcome. fun. You know, it has been. Yeah, just this is that's why I do this podcast. Is everybody, you know, there's like this is such a great community, and to share these stories <laughs> that have that are so cool. You know, I just want to get well, these stories you. out there. So, well, hats off to you to 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 have the forum, especially now with the pandemic amongst us, that people have this pastime to to click click your podcast on yeah yeah thank you yeah I, I'm such a great listener base it's amazing it, bl- it literally sure. blows my mind every week <laughs> every well, week i'm just like i can't power believe this. to you oh, wish thanks you much so much man i appreciate it so mm-hmm. the first question is is um we were talking been talking about technique but if you had 10 minutes a day to work on something and this could be anything but something that might relate to somebody of any level that they could also do at home what would you recommend well i've I've always made uh, um, an effort to focus on my rhythm and you're nothing without your rhythm. Um, you need to be a supporter to what what's around you. And that's the one thing that you can have fun with in a jam session is just being that, that drum kit uh, for someone taking a solo or singing. You know, just give them that strong foundation of a powerful chop and and focusing on your tone and where that tone is best uh, uh, beyond the bridge and in, in between the, the extension and the bridge. You find that sweet spot where you're getting the best tone and depth out of that chord. And then you just focus on your chord patterns, uh, linking them together. Like I said, you can create bass lines and what I call uh, – 
connectors. I've heard uh, other people call it a turn signal to <laughs> kind of uh, in, inform others around you who may not know the song that, okay, if I throw a seventh in there, that, that tells me I'm getting ready to go back to the root chord. Oh, cool. That's a great, so that's a great analogy, the turn signal. Yeah, it's an indicator. Yeah. Wow. Musical indicator. <laughs> do you do you practice with like a metronome when you're working on your rhythm stuff or do you how do you I used it? to and I, I should still um I would I would recommend that to anybody, even if you're a pro. Um because even pros go through situations where it's hard to hear. And if if you're if you're practicing much like a football team. You know, if everyone's on the same page and and they know the plays and they're they're all listening together, when you're in a situation where it's hard to hear, you can just rely on your knowledge and the fact that you've practiced all week and and you've got it down. You're solid. You know that nothing can get you out of this ditch. (laughs) And and even in the hardest situations of of uh, sound systems you can still pull it off and be a professional and the way to do that is with the metronome yeah that's great advice sure and we get to the final question here okay do you have a favorite beer <laughs> a favorite beer yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i rarely drink i'm a, a social drinker mm-hmm. and I, I you'll rarely ever see me drink more than one beer and uh I would have to say one of my favorites out there is uh, Blue Moon. Oh, yeah. The White Belgium. Yep, great beer. Yeah, I like the wheat beers. Um, uh, Sam's Sam Adams Seasonal makes a good um, summer ale. That's one of my other favorites. Um, there's a good craft beer out there called Lefe, L-E-F-E. That's probably my favorite uh, European-style wheat beer. Man, that's awesome. Well, that's perfect. Well, but do- I don't drink much, so uh, I also like a red wine. I like a Mal- Malbec. That's my favorite red wine. That is my favorite so, red wine as well. <laughs> is it really? It really is, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Good Chilean wine. Oh, that's that's so crazy. Yeah. I, <laughs> that, wow. <laughs> that's neat, well, you have man. good taste. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, man, um, thank you for doing this. I appreciate oh, it. Um, when, you, when you release those singles, uh, when you release it, just let me know. I'll throw one on the podcast at the end so people can check it out, too. Sure. Uh, I should probably make a, a shout out to Dave Maggard at Sound Biscuit Productions. Uh, it's on his label, Sound Biscuit. Oh, cool. Um, also known to put out the uh, the album for the Poe Ramblin' Boys. Oh, right on, man. It's a great studio. And uh, Phil Ledbetter actually went in there with an all-star cast to uh, do a couple singles uh, in honor of um, a, a fallen hero. Um that has passed recently. Uh, Steve Gully, God bless you. And, 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 uh, so th- they all went into the studio to, to, uh, all proceeds go to his wife, Debbie. And, uh, they chose a great studio to do that in. Oh, great. But, uh, back to the fast track. Yeah. It's on EMG. It's uh, Englehart music group. And, and, uh, want to send a shout out to, uh, Adam Englehart for believing in us and Glenn Duncan for producing 
and uh, Melanie Wilson for uh, believing in us and, and booking the band uh, when we can't book it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we just like to hand it off to her to, normally to uh, handle that and our publicity also. Well, it's a great album. I'm, I'm stoked to hear the Streamliner. And uh, yeah. hopefully uh, we can meet each other in person someday when I'm either up in Nashville or if you ever find your way down here in Charleston, South Carolina. I hope so. That's a beautiful area. I actually have a friend in Beaufort. Oh, right. I'm playing there in a few weeks. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Awesome. What a small yeah. world, man. Wish I could spend more time down there. Well, let me know next time you're down here. We can, we can drink some Malbec. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Absolutely. All right. Thank you to Jesse Brock for doing that. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, be sure September 26th, put it on your calendar. Great live stream coming up with myself, Dominic Leslie, Thomas Castle, Casey Campbell. Cheers, everybody. Heard the cry in the morning of the wind. Well, I heard the whistle scream on that southbound railroad train. Now I'm blue and I'm lonesome again. Well, they took you away on one cold, dark, windy day. Stood and cried as that